HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Big Green Egg, the world's largest producer of ceramic charcoal grills, and also by Springer Mountain Farms, over 300 family farms raising birds in Georgia's Blue Ridge Mountains. Learn more at BigGreenEgg.com and SpringerMountainFarms.com. Welcome back to Heritage Radio Network at Charleston Wine and Food Festival. We want to give a big shout-out once again to our sponsors, Big Green Egg and Springer Mountain Farms. Thank you so much for letting us be here. Um, so we're now back with Tamina Mamtazi and Ian. Can you help me, Ian? Perkayasta. Thank you. No worries. Um, so first of all, can I get you guys to both explain a little bit about your background and what you do? I'll let you go first. Okay. Uh, my name is Ian Perkayasta, and I own Regalis Foods in New York. Uh, I essentially procure hard-to-find ingredients from around the world, mainly truffles, caviar, different mushrooms, and foraged edibles. And I sell to just fine dining restaurants across the country. Yeah. You made me so hungry. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I am the winemaker at Mesa Winery out of McMinnville, Oregon, in the Willamette Valley. Um, So pretty much I'm responsible for all the daily processes of bottling, picking, any decision of the wine I have to do. His job sounds more fun, like going and selling stuff. I just try to make wine. That's pretty pretty cool, too. They both sound extremely fun. (laughs) That's very true. Um, So you guys are both fairly young in your industries, probably some of the youngest in in each. Um, Who do you credit your drive at such a young age to? So when I started this job, it was actually 10 years ago. July 30th is my 10-year anniversary, and I'm hoping my parents get me cake. That's the only thing I want is my anniversary gift to be a a cake. But um, I was 24, and I was kind of fresh out of school, worked for a couple wineries. And um, that time, my father, um, he had a winemaker. He's never been in the cellar. So he calls me when I was living in New Zealand and saying, please come home and um, make wine for us. So my biggest inspiration is actually my parents. And it's really teary because my parents came in this country when they were escaped from Iran. So they left in a revolution time, came to a country that my mom did not speak this language at all, English. She knew a couple words. And my father went to University of Texas, so he knew how to speak English. So seeing them to become who they are, they are my inspiration of every day. 
That's pretty hard to beat. Um, <laughs> my dad also went to the University of Texas. Um, oh, wow. My dad, yeah. In terms of my inspiration as well, I think I've been very fortunate to have been part of a family that um, has always, you know, given us so much inspiration. My father is an Indian immigrant, and my mother is white bread Texan, and um, I started foraging for, for mushrooms when I was 15 in Arkansas. Um, my family, during the recession, uh, relocated from Houston, Texas, where we were living this kind of affluent lifestyle, uh, to rural Arkansas in pursuit of a, a simpler life. And that's when I started spending a lot of time in the woods and uh, eventually learning how to forage for wild mushrooms. Um, and that's kind of like what um, jump-started this career of, of dealing mushrooms and mm-hmm. foraged edibles. I would go around to local restaurants and cold call my different wares. And then eventually I moved to New York and my parents didn't make me go to college, so it was, it was great. Um, I, I forewent college and, um, you know, again, like, I'm just super lucky to be, be a part of a family that's allowed me to, uh, you know, to explore my passions and to really, you know, pursue this, this life. So, wow. yeah. Did you have foraging mentors who taught you yes. plant and mushroom identification? Yeah, so when I moved to Arkansas, my uncle and his family were living uh, locally, and my uncle is an avid outdoorsman, and he was, um, the, I guess, the, in, the inspiration, the, the, the guy who showed me how to forage for morels and chanterelles and black trumpets early on, um, and that's really where I learned all of my foraging abilities from, and then I've always enjoyed cooking and eating good food ever since I can remember, so I've always loved, loved food. Um, I think I read somewhere that when you were really young, your parents actually would, like, help you by, like, going to the airport and, and helping you pick up shipments. Is that true? Yeah. So, so um, I, would, I would basically make calls um, in between classes in high school, and I would go to the airport um, after school a few days a week, and my parents would take turns driving me around to local restaurants uh, in a tri-state area to, uh, to cold call product. So, yeah, there was a lot of help on their end. Yeah, so you really were working really closely with your parents for a long time. Well, I mean, not not super closely, but, I mean, they would um, definitely chauffeur me around to different restaurants. I think that was the extent of their involvement. But, I mean, they're they're entrepreneurs themselves. I mean, they started a leather manufacturing company out of India 25 years ago. And so I think this, like, entrepreneurial spirit was always, like, so prevalent in our house. I mean, they were, you know, they had a home, a home office. They, they did all their work at the house. So, I mean, um, I think growing up, I was just accustomed to um, that lifestyle, which is what I've built for myself today. Yeah. And Tamina, you work with your family today. I mean, still. Yeah. What's, what is that like? Like, would you recommend that to other people? I think you have to have a really good special bond with your family because you have to have a thick skin because your biggest critic is your parents and your boss. So therefore, sometimes I feel that there's good days and bad days like any other job, but they make me a better person. And actually the whole entire family does. So if my sisters say something to me, like trying to criticize me, they're trying to make me better. So like I do that to them every day too, saying, don't do that. 
And you were saying that, you were telling me a story about how your dad was like critiquing the wine you were making. Can you, can you tell us about that? So the, my biggest critic is actually my father. And my mother is like, they played bad cop, good cop. And so when he's like really hard on me, so like one harvest, my birthday falls on harvest. So I try to claim a national holiday, but the grapes never listen to me. So <laughs> I try. But so one year, it was a very light vintage. It was at 10 and 11. It was a kind of cooler vintage. And I'm doing my pump overs in the winery. And my dad comes in to me, and he, he likes really big pinots. And I'm really more true style pinots. And I'm like being very gentle on my wines. And he's like, this is terrible color. And I'm looked at him and I'm like about to burst in tears. And I'm like, not today. This is my birthday. And uh, he, uh, he, there was another winemaker because I was going to borrow some, some equipment. And she heard that and she was like, leave her alone. <laughs> She's making Pinot Noir. If you want her to make Syrah, move to a different place. <laughs> <laughs> but he's my biggest critic. So, uh, I love him for it every day. Yeah. But I'm sure he's also your biggest fan, too. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I would say sometimes he's my good cheerleader when he wants to be. Yeah. Did you have additional mentors in the winemaking industry? Yes. Um, but it wasn't like mentors, like in a sense of like I would go and ask questions. It was wine. Like any wine that I've ever had when I was like younger, um, not, I'm not saying under 21, but when I was young. <laughs> but uh, when I tasted it, that's what I was like, this is what kind of style that I would love to do. And then I would, you know, check them out of year to year. And sometimes there were up and downs like any life. You know, you have good times, you have bad times. And they, I would say those are where my mentors were wine. So I wouldn't say like there was a one person per se. Can you tell us about a wine or two that gave you an aha moment? Um, yeah, so <laughs> um, in 2012, it was like in November, uh, this wine spectator came out, their top 100, and my dad just came out of a surgery and out of a heart. Uh, he had a, like a really strange heart, not transplant, but he had a heart surgery. And um, I started getting text messages from random numbers. And I'm like, congratulations, congratulations. I'm like, what are you congratulating me? I'm not engaged. I'm not having a baby. What the hell are you at? Congratulating, it's me. And one of the winemakers that I love and I adore, he texted me. And then another female winemaker that I adore too, she texted me and said, congrats on the top 114, being top 100 being number 14. Wow. That was like my aha moment. It's like, finally I made it. Thank wow. God. Yeah. Uh, Ian, have, what was your aha moment in your foraging business? Uh, I mean, definitely like the, the, the first time I ever tasted a truffle, like when I was 15. Um, I was visiting friends in Houston and they invited me out to dinner and they were like, you know, Ian, order anything on the menu and so I had always been obsessed with mushrooms obviously and I had never tasted a truffle and um, I ordered this black truffle ravioli dish with the foie gras sauce and that was like really what changed it all for me and that's like when I became just totally I became totally seduced by the truffle and that's kind of what started uh, me on this path to uh, 
you know, discovering uh, this underground world of truffles and mushrooms and different things. And how young were you when you knew you wanted to move to New York? And, and what was that transition like? Because you basically moved your business. So I had a small company in Arkansas, and then um, I was approached by an Italian company that was looking for U.S. representation, and so I basically built um, a U.S. subsidiary for for that company, Um, and with the money that they had made my senior year of high school, they opened an office for me in Newark, uh, New Jersey, and so after high school, I basically moved to New Jersey because I couldn't afford living in the city, and I had this very bleak office in Newark, and I got you know, the shit kicked out of me my third day. I, like, had a suitcase full of truffles I was rolling on the street, and I got jumped by six guys. Oh, literally. And, yeah, for the next, like, three years, it was super depressing and bleak. And then, oh. eventually, I left and started my new current company, Regalis, which is now five years old. So, um, it's definitely been a wild ride. Wow. <laughs> and you, now, you have a book coming out, or it just came out. My book, yeah. So, I have a book called Truffle Boy that just came out two weeks ago. Uh, about, thank you about um, just my life in this crazy underground world of <laughs> procuring and providing uh, specialty products to different restaurants. Awesome. So, yeah. And Tamina, what, what new projects do you have coming down the line? I have three new projects that are coming out, and I can't say they need the names of the labels yet, but I'm really excited to work on those um, because it's going to be a little bit different than my typical style of what I make in the cellar. Mm-hmm. Top hey. secret projects. Yeah. Love them. <laughs> the CIA is fine. Like, you know, they <laughs> contacted me. It's very hush-hush. <laughs> and what do, you, what do you guys have on the docket for Charleston this weekend? So I have an event tonight from the Ashes. And um, tomorrow, they keep, everyone keeps telling me I have a busy day. But I feel I have a Pinot Envy, um, and then I have a wine dinner at Zero George. Mm-hmm. Really excited about that. Um, and then if, I might have another surprise. I don't know. But they keep telling me I'm really busy tomorrow. <laughs> uh, you are full of top secret projects. Yeah. <laughs> um, if somebody wanted to go down your path and have an exciting career of secret surprise weekend events and winemaking, what advice would you give for somebody who is looking to start out and break into the industry? So I have a formal education of beer master and winemaking, so I went that route. Um, So I would say the first thing is go to school. It's really important because in my career, chemistry is big. You have to know everything um, on the sense of the lab side. Um, I don't, you have, if you want to go like be, live your life like the fullest, you want to skip that stuff, go work wineries and work from the bottom and work to like to the top. So those are two scenarios I can give you, but I honestly, learning lab is really important because that's where I found my passion was lab work because I was like, oh, I'm a mad scientist. (laughs) But, um, Other people might not feel that thinking they're making art, but um, I would say those two routes are great. And um, maybe I I love living my life like a surprise because I feel like if I'm well prepared, then everything's going to be so boring or I'd be so stressed that nothing's going my way. And um, 
that's the route I would tell you. If you're a type A person, go that way. Type B, go this way. <laughs> I like the fork path. Thanks for offering yeah. some options. Yeah. Um, Ian, what about you? If somebody wanted to break into foraging, yeah, how would um, they start? I, I try to encourage as many people as I can to just pick up a field guide and walk into the woods and and see what nature has to offer because there's so many wild plants and um, edible greens in the forest that um, are so common to identify and are delicious and um, you know just to follow your dreams and make it all happen I mean <laughs> I, I would say um, I don't want to conflict with what you're saying but um, about the whole education thing but like realize that there's other paths to um, an education and to find like that one thing that really you know is illuminating in your life and to just chase chase it and to realize it's okay and that you're gonna make like a shitload of mistakes and and that um, you know it takes it takes those mistakes to become successful I agree with that 100% because your your failures are your most successful moments in your totally. life because you learn about it totally. so I agree with that is there a specific guidebook you recommend for beginner foragers? And I'm sure that depends on the region, but say for the New York, New England region? Um, it just, it definitely, like, depends on the region. Um, I mean, yeah, I would just, I would go to, like, your local bookstore and, and just pick up a local regional guide. Um, but obviously, like, with mushrooms and with greens, there's, like, a lot of, um, of crossover from, from state to state. So even online, you can download foraging pamphlets on, mm-hmm. on different greens and mushrooms and um, chances are, you know, there's something growing in your backyard that is edible and, and delicious and so um, so yeah, I mean I, you know, I, I find so many edible plants in Manhattan, like on the street that are covered in like dog piss, but edible <laughs> nonetheless, uh, so there's so, I mean, there, there, there are tons of things out there um, and especially in your backyard that are incredible. So. Wow. Yeah. Any uh, super dangerous things people should be on the lookout for? Uh, I was, so when I first started Regalis, we buy from like 75 different foragers and I used to give foragers lists of product that we bought and um, there was Angelica, wild Angelica, which is essentially like a wild rhubarb and there was a forager that sent us a, a big box of Angelica and it ended up being Hemlock, which is a very, very poisonous look-alike plant. And so um, we just have to make sure that everything is, like, totally vetted before we sell it. Um, so anyway, it's, yeah, it, it can be a tricky, um, a tricky business to be in. We have a very high liability insurance policy uh, oh, to protect good. us from those things. There was another time where we're selling these fruits called pawpaw, mm-hmm. which is actually indigenous to... Um, North America, but it, yeah. it looks like a tropical fruit. It has like a banana, like kind of mango-like uh, flavor, and it has a very um, like goopy texture, like similar to like a like an avocado, like a very ripe avocado. And um, it grows here in Charleston, all the way up the coast to New York. And the seeds are poisonous, and so we were selling some to a restaurant once, and they. Um, made a sorbet with everything and they didn't heed my advice and remove the seeds and so when they all ate it everyone projectile vomited in the kitchen (laughs) (laughs) so that was like another kind of horror story in the business but um 
yeah, there, there are definitely some cool things growing up. There's actually the a restaurant in Charleston called Pawpaw. And I think the chef's yeah. going to come by oh, later. Oh, very cool. Very but cool. yeah, I, did, I actually didn't know that that's what that fruit was. Yeah. Now I will. I will know not to eat Thomas the seeds. Jefferson's favorite fruit. Oh, wow. He had a grove in Monticello. So. Oh. Very cool. Yes. Well, um, what do you suppose Thomas Jefferson's favorite wine was? You know, I actually thought about that like a couple months ago about that. I kind of think it was a white wine. And if there was in Virginia, Vienna, I think he would love that. Mm-hmm. Because I, didn't, I, I don't know why I don't think he was a red drinker. I know he made reds, but in my mind, I think he loved whites because... One, it was in Virginia, and it's hot and humid. So yeah. to cool off, that's what I was thinking in my head. But I know it sounds really weird, but it's interesting <laughs> no, theory. Yeah, refreshing. Yeah, um, I want to give you both a chance to give big ups to an organization or somebody in your community who's doing great work in the food space. Um, whoever would like to start, I'll let you go first. Uh, I mean, there's a multitude of organizations that are changing um, or enabling um, a younger generation of um, of eaters, and, and I really encourage like community gardens and everything that Alice uh, Waters has done um, in you know bringing young people together and you know enabling young people to um, enjoy good quality food mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a weird dichotomy. I sell luxury foods, but yet, um, <laughs> it, it's 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 kind of a strange position to be in. But um, I I think um, eliminating child hunger is, you know, a very important thing. Obviously, so I would say No Kid Hungry is a great organization. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, I mean, times are changing here in the world, so. I mean, there's a lot of organizations out and around us that are really good. But as you said, any company that is constantly thinking about their environment, I really give them a shout out because that's really important because farming is the first basis of me making wine. So if we don't, you know, protect our farmers and about the whole climate changing and everything, we don't know what's going to happen. So that's... Those those organizations, I give them a props to. Oh yeah. I was in FFA. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was in 4H as well. Oh, we <laughs> very didn't have 4H, but oh, you yeah. didn't. Okay. I was in the BB the BB too. Gun Club. Oh. <laughs> yes. Oh man. Yeah. You grew up in Arkansas, so I, I, I can yeah, imagine. I did. I did. Yeah. So. Very cool. Not much to do. Yeah, Alabama. <laughs> that's where I grew up, so I totally right. get it. You could totally relate. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, guys. This was Thank a you. really yeah. awesome conversation. Thank All right. you so much. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. Thanks so right. much to Mina Montazzi and Ian Perkayasma. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. We will be back shortly. All right. Once again, you're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported nonprofit radio station based in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Check us out at heritageradionetwork.org. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by Big Green Egg, the world's largest producer of ceramic charcoal grills. 
In business since 1974, they've transformed ancient cooking vessels into modern-day masterpieces. Today, they sell seven sizes of the egg, as well as hundreds of accessories designed to make your cooking fun, entertaining, and delicious. Often copied, but never equaled, the Big Green Egg is the ultimate cooking experience. Learn more at biggreenegg.com. This episode is also brought to you by Springer Mountain Farms, over 300 family farmers raising birds in Georgia's Blue Ridge Mountains. Many of them are second and even third generation. They're committed to doing things the right way. Springer was one of the first poultry companies to forego the use of antibiotics, and they've embraced other humane practices too. In fact, they were the first poultry company to earn the American Humane Association seal of approval. Learn more at springermountainfarms.com.